back to it. But um, today we it will be our last week taking the time off, and we're going to look into Psalm 75. And I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version because I think that's the, 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 the translation that got the best um, from the Hebrew. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn there to Psalm 75. If you do not have your Bibles, open your notes and you can read with me. This is what the psalmist said, okay? Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. Men declare your wondrous works. Amen? So it's kind of like, it's a dialogue, I feel like it. So we're going to do small comments as we go. Now God is speaking back, and he's saying in verse 2, When I select an appointment time, it's I who judge with equity. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set the pillars, Selah. I think that's God just speaking back to the psalmist. Now the psalmist came back into the conversation, and now he's speaking again, and he's saying, I say to the boastful, so the one who is being so arrogant, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift the horn. Do not lift up your horns on high. Do not speak with insolent uh, pride. For not from the east, not from the west, nor from the d desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down and he exalts another. So the context here is the psalmist is talking to the wicked and saying, don't be too arrogant, don't try to keep on sinning. Nothing going to exalt you up. You cannot manipulate your way uh, anywhere. It's God who's the judge, who's the one who exalted. He's the one who put down. And then we're going to stop in verse 8, okay? So this is the context here, uh, talking about the judgment of God. And says, for a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams, okay? It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth shall drain and drink down its drinks. Amen? But as for me, I will declare forever, I will sing praises to God of Jacob, and all the horns of the wicked he will cut off, but the horns of the righteous he will lift up. Amen? So let's read verse 8 together because that's where we're going to be like stopping today. So let's all read it together. So hopefully going to sink in a little bit more. Here is what the psalmist said. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord and the wine foams. It is well mixed and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth shall drain and drink down its drinks. Tough, isn't it, huh? It's a doomy picture. But um, this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about um, a little bit of characters or description of God's judgment that we can see from that verse. Um, I know a lot of churches don't want to talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God over sin. But I think if you love somebody, you should warn them if you know they're in harm ways, right? So talking about hell not necessarily is condemning thing or an awful thing it's it's a warning thing because you care about people and we have to talk about it because it's in the bible amen if people just want to attract people into the into christianity by not talking about the judgment and the wrath of god they're missing really what the scripture is all about amen there is no good news if there is no bad news you guys see that right 
if you'll not be so excited about being healthy if you've never been sick before, right? It's when you're sick and then healing comes to you. It's the sickness, the bad news that makes the good news a whole lot more valuable, right? And that's exactly what makes us appreciate the love of God even more. Knowing that he's a righteous and a holy God and he will judge sin and that we're doomed without him. And then we see how much he has done for us to get us out of there. That's what will make the great news even pop out even more. Amen. So this is what the psalmist said in the context of, the, of talking about the judgment of God. Said that, that in, in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. And the wine in it is foaming and it is fully mixed and God will pour it out, right? And then he said, surely how many? Surely how many? All. All. Every single wicked person in this earth must drain it and drink down even to the very dregs of it. It's just a powerful picture that the psalmist is portraying here about the judgment of God. Amen. And throughout scripture, we can see this picture over and over and over that the judgment and the wrath of God is like a cup full of wine called the wine of God's wrath. And God gave that to the sinners or those who don't know him. All right. So we'll see a couple of examples. Like, for example, Jeremiah spoke about that in Jeremiah 25, 15 and 16. Here's what Jeremiah said. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Um, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send, uh, send you to, to drink it. They will drink it and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Amen. So it's again a picture that the judgment of God is like a cup of wine that God is about to give to the nation that have sinned against him. Isaiah 51, 17, awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet and makes people stagger. Amen. So again, that is a common picture in the Old Testament that we see that the judgment or the wrath of God over sin is like a cup of wine that God is about to hand over and make sinners drink it. All right. So in that verse, Psalm 75, 8, the psalmist didn't part far away from that picture. And he said, God is about to pour out his judgment. It's like he has a cup in his hand full with his wine and he's about to pour it out to the sinners. And surely every single sinner would drink it and, dr and drain the dregs and suck it to the last drop, right? And in that verse, we see three characters or three points about the judgment of God that we see in verse 8 here. Number one, we see that it is a near judgment. Number two, we see that it is a sure judgment. And number three, we see that it is a severe judgment. Let's say it together so we make sure you got it, okay? Number one, it is a near judgment. Number two, it is a sure judgment. And number three, it is a severe judgment. Number one, it is a near judgment. The psalmist said that the hand of the Lord, there is already a cup in his hand, and he's about to give it to the wicked, right? Yeah. I had to spend a lot of time reading about, you know, grapes in fermentation and making wine this week just to understand what the psalmist is talking about. Wine takes about a few weeks for it to be fully fermented and ready to be served, right? Now, 
This wine that God is about to offer to the sinners has already finished the whole process. The cup is already in the hand of God and God is about to give it to the wicked. This is not something that's going to take long time for it to happen. This is something about to happen soon. Amen? And that's precisely what the psalmist was saying here. This judgment is about to come over the sinner. This is not something that might happen like millions and millions of years down the road. It's about to happen sometime very soon. It is a near judgment. Amen? And I remember a story in the Bible, in the book of Genesis chapter 19. The story of Lot, who was, who was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham went to a city called Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And there was so much sin in that city. God just could not tolerate that sin anymore. So he sent two angels to get Lot and his family out because they were righteous people. Everybody else was sinner in that land, right? And the angels goes to Lot and they say, you need to get out because in the morning God will rain fire and brimstone from heaven and these two cities will be burned out, right? And the Bible says that Lot went to his sons-in-law who has already married his daughters. I think he has more than two daughters. So he went to his sons-in-law who married his daughters and he will knock on their door. And guess what? He was telling them. Anybody have a wild idea? He's saying, get out of the city. God is about to rain fire and primestone, right? And the Bible says that when he went to his sons-in-law who married his daughters and they heard that message that God is about to pour out fire and primestone and burn down the two cities, he looked like a mocker, like a joker in their eyes. It's not that they did not believe him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. And they thought that the idea of God judging sin, it is so far-fetched. It's impossible. It's like a joke, right? And I can imagine even one of them just to get Lot out of his house. He said, you know what, father or dad or whatever, just go. And tomorrow morning we'll talk more about it, right? Because I just did say enough. I heard enough. It's not going to happen. Get out of here, right? Tomorrow morning we'll talk more about it. But what he did not know is that there will be no tomorrow morning, right? The wrath of God fell on that city the very next morning and fire and primestone rained down these two cities and nobody escaped except Lot and his two daughters, right? That's it. That's the only people who ran away. The judgment of God was so near to the people inside Sodom and Gomorrah, yet they missed the whole point, right? Now, I hope we're all Christian here. I hope we're all born again and saved. But if you're not, I want to tell you that you better be right with God. And you better be right with God very soon because God is about to judge sin. Amen? I don't know how when Jesus will come, but you don't know how long you're going to live, right? No one of us is guaranteed his life, right? You don't know if you're going to live till tomorrow, right? God has promised us so many good things in the scripture. But you know what is the one thing that God has never promised you? Tomorrow. He did never promise you you'll live another day, right? Your life can end at any day. And if you're not right with God, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Amen? The judgment of God over sin is near. The fact of the matter that even though sin is flourishing and everybody seems to not care about God and seems like sinners are enjoying their life and nothing is happening to them doesn't take away the fact that the wrath of God is near and God is going to judge sin. Amen? Just like people in Sodom and Gomorrah. It has been so long for them. They got used to sin so much 
that the concept of God judging sin was so foreign to them, but it happened to them a whole lot sooner than what they were even expecting. Amen? It's a new judgment. The cup is already ready. It's in the hand of God, and God is about to serve it to those who don't know him. Amen? But not only that, it's not only a near judgment, it is a sure judgment. The reason why we're it from the New American Standard is because it's the closest to the Hebrew. And the Hebrew says this, surely, do you see the last part of verse 8, right? Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink it, it, it's down, drink down its dregs, right? Well, when the Bible says surely, how sure that is? Pretty darn sure, right? Surely, how many? 90% of the wicked? All the wicked. Not a single wicked person, not a single sinner will ever escape the wrath of God. Amen? Surely, all the wicked of the earth, 50% chance drinking and draining, right? What does it say? What is the word here? Must. Well, have to. There is no question about it. Must drink it, drain it, and drink it to the very dregs. Amen? Do you get the point? It's a sure judgment. There is no question about it if it's going to happen or not. It will surely happen. Amen? You guys see that? The fact that God is being patient with sin doesn't mean he will let sin go unpunished. Amen? The fact that God is just long-suffering because he doesn't want anybody to perish and die doesn't mean that he's not holy and righteous anymore, right? God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But at the end of the day, the judgment of God over sin is as sure as it ever can be. Amen? Let me read you a couple of scriptures here. Exodus 34, 6-7. This is what Moses said. Then the Lord... Pass by in front of him and proclaim. Now, this is what God's saying about himself, right? This is not some man's opinion. This is what the Lord said about himself. And here's what God said. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Good. Slow and anger. He takes forever to get angry, right? And abounding in loving kindness and truth he's abounding he has so much of this undeserved love and undeserved grace and he keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives the same God forgives iniquity transgressions and sin good I mean what else can we ask for right he's compassionate he's gracious he's very slow to anger he abounds he has so much of the loving kindness and the grace and mercy he keeps on the loving kindness and the mercies for thousands he forgives it doesn't matter how much iniquities or sin or transgressions you have done he's willing to forgive that right this is a good merciful God right yet look at the rest of that verse the rest of that verse, yet he will, by how much? By no mean leave the guilty unpunished. The fact that God is being gracious doesn't mean that sin will go unpunished. It's just being patient, but it doesn't mean that the judgment of God will never happen, will never occur. Amen? It's not just it's a near judgment, it's a sure judgment. There is no question about it. God can never, by no means, let the guilty go unpunished. Same idea we read about it in, in Numbers 14, 18. Pretty much the same scripture. Look at this. Nahum uh, 1, 3. That's the minor prophet in the Old Testament. Here's what Nahum said. He said, the Lord, what, how, how does he look like? He is slow to? 
He just takes forever to get to that point. He's too slow to anger because it's not his nature. It's not what he likes to do. He is slow to anger and great in power. But the exact same Lord who is slow to anger is also, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty what? Unpunished. The fact that he's being patient doesn't mean that he'll let the sin go unpunished. Amen? It is not that it's just a near judgment. It's also a sure judgment. Amen? Peter spoke about that in the New Testament. He said something to the same extent. He said the Lord is slow about his the Lord is not slow about his promise. His promise that he will come, he will rapture the church, and he will judge the sinners. People in Peter's time were looking around and say, oh, where is that promise that Jesus will come? He'll never come. Look around you. Look how much sin is flourishing. The Lord will never fulfill that promise. So Peter writes back and he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But slowlessness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, that means the judgment will never come because he's not willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? Not right. Look at what he said right after that. But the Lord of the Lord, the day of the Lord, what's gonna happen to it? It will come like a thief. Even though God is being patient, even though he just doesn't, is not willing that not should perish and keep extending grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy, that doesn't mean that the day of the Lord, the day of his judgment will not come. The day of the Lord will surely come and it will come as a thief. Amen? It is a near judgment. And number two, it is a sure judgment. But number three, it is a severe judgment. Look how the Psalm like 75a described this wine. It says that um, in the hand of the Lord there is a cup and the wine foams, okay, and it is well mixed. So I had to spend some time reading about how they make wine because I want to know what is that foam means and what is that mixture means and stuff like that. So um, the way they do it is I think they bring some grape juice and then they add yeast to that grape juice and then the yeast uh, convert the sugar in the grape juice into two components, okay? Um, the first one is the alcohol part, the, 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 the part that makes you intoxicated, and the second half it converted to carbon dioxide, CO2, which is the gas, the bubbles that comes out and it forms on the top of the, of the wine, right? So pretty much the sugar will convert to these two items, the gas that bubbles and forms on top of the wine, and then the alcohol that can be intoxicated, right? And then some of the people in that time in the Old Testament will, on top of that, after the fermentation is done, after the fermentation is over, then the yeast settle down in the bottom of the barrel. That's, that's the dregs that the, the, the psalmist here is talking about, right? So at the end of the day, a few weeks later, you have the dregs, which is the yeast particles that settled at the bottom of the pearl, and then you have some foam probably in the top. Some of it might have dispersed already. That's the gas. And then you have... The, the, the grape juice that contains alcohol in it because it has been fermented, right? And on top of that, some people, when they make wine, they add some spices to it to make it stronger and more intoxicated, right? So that's exactly what the author of the psalmist here is talking about. He's saying that it is fully mixed. It's not that it's diluted with water or something like that. It is mixed with other spices to make it a whole lot more stronger, a whole lot more intoxicating than what it is, right? 
We see a picture of that or a, an allusion to that in Proverbs. Proverbs 23.30. Multiple references actually. But here is what the Proverbs say. Those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of what? Mixed wine. Because people used to mix wine with spices to make it a whole lot more intoxicated, a whole lot more stronger. And that's why, again, the Bible said that the sinners will drink, will drain the dregs. That's the yeast particles that settles at the bottom of the, the pearl here. Does the psalmist say that in the wrath and the judgment of God, even these very dregs that nobody even look at because they just scoop the wine out and leave these dregs away, right? This is how they do it. But he says that the judgment of God will be so severe that even these very dregs will be drained, will be sucked out just in case there is still one drop of wine in, that, in these dregs. It will be sucked out and it will be drank by every single sinner. Amen? This is like bad. The psalmist is saying over and over and over, this is going to be hard, severe judgment, right? Because God is a holy and a righteous God. He's never going to ever tolerate sin. Amen? Amen? I mean, look at the cross. He did not spare Jesus who never committed a single sin. He poured out his judgment over Christ who is the delight of his soul who never committed a sin. What makes you ever think that if God was not willing to spare Christ, that he will spare you and me if we're not being right with him? Amen? It is a severe judgment. In Revelation, we read about that. Revelation 14, uh, 9 to 11. What's going to happen later at the end of time. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink of what kind of wine? The wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. I mean... The Bible just gonna keep saying it's bad, 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 bad. The cup called the cup of the anger of God. The wine in it is called the wine of his wrath. And it is fully mixed to its full strength. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And look at this, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and forever, and they will have no rest day or night, those who have worshipped the beast and his image. I mean, do you see what the Bible is trying to tell us here? The wrath and the judgment of God, it is a severe judgment. Amen? I'm not sure if you guys remember, but I think it was second or third week here in, in when I started the church to start pastoring here. And um, we were talking about the hell, how it looks like. I'm not sure if you remember. Most of them weren't probably here. Were you here? I can't remember. We talked about hell, and I know a lot of people were out of town. So anyways, if you remember what we talked about that week, and we said that Jesus referred to hell as a furnace of fire. This is not like the oven that you used to bake bread in, right? Jesus used a terminology of his time that resembles the, the furnace where people of his time would melt iron and like earthen vessels to reshape it. And the temperature of that furnace would be about, give or take, 2,000 degrees. 2,000 degrees. Now, this is what Jesus used to tell us about hell. They said it's going to be something like that. Whether that's metaphorically because hell will be more severe or that's really how it's going to be. I don't know about you. 2,000 degrees, that's, that's awful. 
that's bad, right? I get irritated at 80 degrees. I'm like, man, I'm just irritated in that heat. 2,000 degrees. The Bible said that it burns with sulfur and brimstone. If you remember, we also said that sulfur is one of these metal that when it burns, it turns to a liquid. And it will become liquid fire. That's why the Bible says it is the lake of fire because it's a literal lake. But it's not water in it. It's liquid sulfur because sulfur have melted and turned into liquid. Amen? It is a severe judgment because God is a holy and a righteous God and he will not accommodate or tolerate sin. Amen? You might ask me, are you trying to scare me? Yes, I am trying to scare you. Because it's a scary and a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Amen? Okay, so far it has been doom and gloom, right? Let's just switch to some good news. Amen? This is the amazing thing about the Bible. If, if all of this makes you think that God is an angry God, you, you miss the whole point. The point here is not that God is an angry God. He is not an angry God, but he's a holy God. Amen? And a holy God cannot tolerate sin, yet he loves you and me so much that he has provided the way for us to get out of that. Amen? Here is that way. Look at this. Now Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to God in the garden right before he goes to the cross. Amen? And look at his prayer. Listen to the words he said. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. And he prayed and he said, My father, if possible, do what? Let this cup pass over me. Question, what cup is Jesus talking about here? It is the cup of the judgment of God that God wanted to give the sinners. But instead of giving that cup, the severe, near God judgment over sin, instead of giving it to the sinners, actually God gave it to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, looking at the severity of the judgment of God that he was about to endure on that cross, he cried out and he said, if it's at all possible that this cup can pass over me, I'll be so happy. Amen? Did that cup pass? No, he went to the cross and he drank that cup for you and for me. So you and I don't have to die and perish, but you and I can have eternal life. Amen. This is good news, people. Amen. And instead of us being under the judgment of God, which we rightly deserve, Jesus loved us. He came down from heaven. He took our judgment. He took our cup. He took our wrath on that very cross. And because of his cross, we can go unpunished. Amen. Now, this is the part that blows my mind away. That's Matthew 20 to 20, 20, 20 to 23. Now, here's the story. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, they, uh, they came to him, to Jesus, with her sons, bowing down and uh, making a request to him. And what was the request? And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and at your left hand. This is the, command, the request of the uh, mother of the sons of Zebedee. Verse 22, Jesus answered. Now he's talking to them, to the two sons. And he's saying, do you know what you are asking? Okay, this is like a big thing. And then he said, are you able to drink what? The cup that I am about to drink. What cup he's talking about? The judgment of God that he endured on the cross. The cup of the wrath of God that we've been talking about the whole time. The same cup that Psalmist in Psalm 75 was talking about here. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? They say to him, we are able. Now look at his answer. He said to them, what? My cup. 
you shall drink. This is the part that blows my mind away. Wait a minute. Whose cup is it? Whose cup is it? It's our cup or his cup? Our cup. We're the one who sinned. Did Jesus sin? He never sinned. He doesn't deserve to drink the wrath of God. He doesn't deserve to have that cup. He's not even taking our place. He's saying, this is my cup. This is my judgment. I am taking this on on myself for you on your behalf. My cup. This is the love of Christ and its climax. You cannot exceed that. That he thinks that the judgment of God over your sin, now it becomes his. You know why? So he can give you the life that is his. Amen? So he took our judgment and he gave us in return his life. And he said, my cup you shall drink. It is my cup, Jesus said. Amen? What am I trying to say today? I'm trying to tell you this. There is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. Who loves you so much. That he came down from heaven. And he took your own cup upon himself. And he drank that very cup himself on the cross. He even called your cup his cup. So he can take the judgment and the wrath of God in your behalf. So he can give you life. And life more abundant. And life eternal. Amen. Now, if you refuse to to come and take refuge in the blood that was shed for you on the cross, then that cup will be left for you to drink. Amen? It's up to you. You don't have to drink it because Jesus drank it for you. Amen? But if you're going to harden your heart and say no, and say no to the blood of Jesus, then that cup is still left for you. And make sure, don't miss this, the judgment of God is a near judgment. Amen? And it is a sure judgment. Amen? And it is a severe judgment. Amen? It's your call. What would you like to do today? Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.